Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show. I know I say that every week, but it really is this week, so let's get right at it. Later in the show, we'll get to know improviser and comedian Chris Siddiqui. He's a Canadian Comedy Awards nominee and one of the stars of the new Family Channel show, I Woke Up, a Vampire. He joins us a little bit later on in the show. We'll also get to know director, actor, and writer Sharon Lewis. She's here to talk about her documentary, With Wonder, an intimate look at the journey of members of the queer Christian community of color and their attempts to answer the question, can you be both Christian and queer? We also talk about her time playing Drake's mother on Degrassi. First, though, let's meet Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies. The alternate country and folk rock band have been together producing albums and touring since 1985. Early on, their version of the Velvet Underground song Sweet Jane earned them critical success, and the song's writer, Lou Reed, even claimed that their version of Sweet Jane was his favorite. They're back with a new record called Such Ferocious Beauty, the band's first release of new material in five years, and it follows their heralded 2022 collection of covers, Songs of the Recollection. It's a mix of styles, alternative, rock, Americana, roots, and a rumination on aging, losing parents, and facing mortality. Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies joined me via Zoom to talk about Such Ferocious Beauty. So you say when you write songs that you want to make somebody feel the way you did when you first heard David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust or Lou Reed's Transformers for the first time. Uh, both seminal albums for a lot of people, but how did they make you feel? What was it about those records? Well, I mean, and th those records came out when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So it's, it's uh, I guess the feelings would be a little bit different in, in a ways, but, but when I heard those records, I sort of, I was made to understand that I, I didn't understand anything like that. I, I, I was transported and I, I realized that there was emotions and experiences and different viewpoints that I had never, I certainly hadn't experienced and, and didn't really know to look for. And um, so I, I think in a way that that's sort of what I'm hoping to do with our music, more, more, more um, bring people to a place where that they're not familiar with or that they haven't explored yet, or that uh, it open up a door that, that they, wouldn't have opened up um and, and uh, i guess create a sense of wonder is is the word i'd be looking for you know just this the sense of i think great music does that or or, or for, for certain people it just it, it gets inside you and opens you up and were you writing songs when you were 13 or 14 years old or is this just a, a, a sort of a general feeling of being opened up no i was i was a um huge music fan when i was a kid like I guess, you know, I was born in 1959. So, you know, I think by the time I was nine, 10, 11 years old, I was, without knowing it, I was, I was being affected very deeply by music. I have an older brother who's uh, about five or six years older than me. So he was bringing all that music into the house and I was sneaking into his bedroom whenever I could and listening to it. And, and you know, I, I was just, my, my mind was blown quite, quite probably literally in a way. And uh, so I became, I was, I just became this huge music fan and it wasn't until wasn't really to the late seventies when the, the whole punk scene sort of happened, when there was a sense that anybody can do this. You didn't have to be Mick Jagger or David Boy or Lou Reed. You didn't have to be a rock star. Just anybody can pick up a guitar and do this. That I suddenly realized, Hey, maybe I should try and do this. Uh, Cause at that point I was still 
still a huge music fan and it was it was the most important thing in my life so at that point i sort of realized well maybe i can kind of join join that uh join that parade in a way was there a, a show or a record that really uh inspired you in that way you know i can't remember a specific show but certainly you know in our in our toronto southern ontario sphere you know, we didn't have the Sex Pistols, and, we, and, and nobody, mm. nobody went on to be Susie and the Banshees. But you know, <laughs> band, bands like the Demix. You know, I, I saw them 20, 30 times. You know, when when, when I was that, of that age. Uh, a band like Blue Peter, you know, which was just a fantastic live band at the time. So those bands, you know, they're local and they were so they were very they're very uh, reachable. They're understandable. You know, they're just people like you and I. You see them on the street. You know, you go into a a, a, a diner and one of them would be sitting there. And uh, those so those bands bands like that of that era were really important to me. And and that's that really transformed me. That really made me realize like you know these guys are obviously on their way but I, I can do this i can you know i can i can maybe i can do this like I, I i i'm feeling what they're what they're transmitting to me i'm feeling that and i think i have i can maybe make a way of of doing the same thing so it was it was definitely the local local bands on the local scene interesting when i think of uh the demix and i want to go to new york city or uh blue peter just walk on by neither of those songs uh suggest the cowboy junkies to me except that there was an authenticity to both the styles of the Demix and, and Blue Peter uh, that I think also was probably uh, very much apparent in the music of the Cowboy Junkies on, on uh, you know, that point at which you were starting. And that's kind of the punk rock thing about it. It just had to feel authentic and had to, to be yeah. true. Yeah, ex exactly. That's exactly right. You're listening to Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies on The Richard Krause Show. Their new record, Such Ferocious Beauty, is available wherever you buy fine music. You know, the, the bands that, that you know, the, the Alan Anton, who's in the Junkies, the bass player, you know, we had been friends forever, and we, we literally shared a record collection when we were kids. And <laughs> and uh, so we, we were both, uh, the, you know, we were lucky in that we had this this, this partner to uh, bounce these ideas off it and, and be inspired by these records and go to these shows together. And the first band we formed certainly wasn't Cowboy Junkies and it was more, it was more of the style of a, of a Susie and the Banshees type mm. band. But, but you're right. I mean, the, the, the idea was you just, just be authentic, just, just be real. You know, that was the whole, the whole ethos was, uh, was that you get up on stage and you, you are who you are and you, you know, you, you, you perform, you you expose yourself through your music and you go from there. You know you're not tr you're not trying to be something you're not. When uh, the Trinity Sessions came out and Sweet Jane uh, became such a sensation, I just remember that time so well. Uh, as someone who was a Transformer fan, Lou Reed's album, uh, I assume the Velvet Underground were way up there for you. Uh, to have him say that your version of that song was the best version other than the velvet underground i can't remember the exact quote but he was high praise from someone that did not hand out high praise very often must yeah. have kind of blown your mind it did you know i, I mean i think the quote was was pretty pretty generic sounding but 
Uh, it was, you know, the, the, the best and most authentic version of, of Sweet Jane I've ever heard. Wow. I think in a weird way, he was sort of, <laughs> he's making a dig at, at, uh, at, the, vel at, the, at the, the, the Velvet Underground that happened after, you know, he left mm -hmm. the band and then Sweet Jane appeared on the, the album that uh, after he left, uh, unloaded yeah. after, he left the, uh, after he left the band and it was edited and everything was cut up. And so I think it was almost <laughs> like a little dig, a little dig at that, <laughs> of course, in a very lyric fashion, right? So yeah, it was pretty amazing. And you know, we got to meet him a couple of times, and he was really generous with his time and and his praise and his uh, advice. And uh, so it was pretty, it was pretty special, was for sure. So the new album is called Such Ferocious Beauty, and it began as a COVID album, uh, something that I think you thought would be a little quieter, a little gentler, maybe an acoustic album. But then, and you mentioned Alan Anton earlier, uh, your bass player has been with you for decades now. How did his input change the tone of the album? Well, Al, for this record and for the last few records, Al's been um, doing a lot of work in his, he's, he lives on the West Coast of Canada. So, you know, in the, in the past, we'd get together and, and start to create sounds. And, and in the last little while, uh, you know, Al has sort of done a little pre-production of his own and then sent me sent me ideas and sent me you know musical ideas and then I've written to some of those ideas and so the the, the music that he was sending me even though I was already on my path with Margot writing these sort of acoustic -y version songs and and then Al began to send me his what what he was feeling and what he was experiencing and there was definitely a lot more um uh you know more driving i guess and more uh formal in a way you know not as loose and uh so but i really loved it i thought you know this, this is very cool so uh, you know we were sort of thinking maybe we sort of have an acoustic element to it and then we have this more sort of structured version but they slowly as we began to work on them began to blend together and um and and uh we kind of meld melded the two together and, and what came out of it was there's definitely a few you know very quiet moments on such ferocious beauty but there's also some real more driving and, and 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 noisy moments too. So it, I thought I thought we came together with a pretty good blend. So um, it was really it was really Al's input that sort of pushed it in a direction. Almost forty years later, and twenty is it? Is this album number twenty six? You know, I I, I I I'm I'm not kidding. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it is. I think it, I think it's album number twenty six. How has your approach to writing songs changed over all that time? Well, I mean, I, I think um, as far as what I'm writing about, you know, that hasn't changed much. You know, I, I, I've always written about what's happening most directly in my life uh, mm -hmm. as far as relationships go and what's happening around me sort of, uh, you know, with, with kids. And, and that's evolved as my life has evolved. That, that, that those themes have evolved. You know, this, this record deals a lot with uh, our, some, some of the, you know, with the death of our father and our, our father's uh, fall into dementia. But the, the biggest change is that I, I I don't write all the time now. I, I sort of I write more project based. So, um, you know, if, if I feel if I start to feel the the the, the bubbling of a of the need to write, then I tend to get out of out of the city. I try and get, you know bum a, a house off of somebody, somebody <laughs> in the country or whatever. If I if I can't find one, I'll rent some rent, rent a space, and uh, so that I can just get away, get away from my own head, get away from my own life and uh, the pressures of it, and you know the the day to day niggling things you have to do. And just sort of really fall into it and fall into the writing, and so that's really the way I write now. It's more, it's more, you know. I think it's it's, it's a project. Okay, we're gonna I'm gonna write a record, and um, so that's we're in the in the earlier days. I you know being young and all all I was was a musician. Um, it was just a matter of just I wrote all the time. You know, it was just nonstop writing. Oh, 
talk about uh the songs on this album being focused on loss uh and you have said in another interview that i read with you that impermanence is a word that you've been using a lot lately the songs uh, certainly reflect that i think the lyrical content of the songs um it, it was interesting to hear you say that you your songwriting approach hasn't changed that much because you're writing about things that are directly relating to your life but uh, there is so much loss and and impermanence on this album. Um, obviously, this is perhaps not something you could have written years ago, or would well, have wanted to write years ago. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the point. You know, you 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 write about what you know or what you experience, and then hopefully, as you grow older, you you know your those experiences change you or or um, push you in another direction or make you see things differently and and. Um, make you view your own experience and world and that around you very differently. And, and, and you try and transform as a, as a person as well. Right. And, and grow. So you're right. I, I could not, you know, this record would not have been written 10 years ago for sure. Uh, I don't know about five years ago, I sort of beginning maybe going into this sort of phase then. And that, you know, that coincided with the, the, you know, the, the, the slow deterioration of our parents. My, mm. Our mom died in um, 2018. And then we sort of took over the care of our dad and, uh, you know, that was a huge experience, you know, yeah. for four years, watching him slowly deteriorate. And he was at home, right? So we, we, we kept him at home and we, you know, we, it was, it was a pretty hands-on experience. And um, so, you know, that, that's, that's pretty transforming. And he is in one of the videos. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we talked about it and we thought, well, you know, should we do this? Like, this is kind of weird, but. I mean, the song, the song is called What I Lost, and it's, 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 it, is, it is almost every, every line in that song I could almost attribute to him. Like, mm -hmm. these, are, these are conversations I had as he was going through his different, as he was basically deteriorating and losing his memories and, and losing, losing uh, you know, a sense of literally who he was and where he was. And, um, but, he but he would always be able to call up some, you know, some vision of his past or and and a lot of it had to do with his flying he was a, he was a bush pilot when he was younger in northern quebec for about 10 years and he was a huge music fan and so those elements are always there in, in him right up to the end of his life almost and um so you know and 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 a lot of those you know the lines were you know uh, you know i woke up this morning didn't know where i was looked at the room didn't know or i didn't look around didn't know who i was that's a literal him saying you know me going to visit him and, and him sort of telling me this you know wow. so it, it was it was a very personal song anyways. You're listening to Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies on The Richard Krause Show. Their new record, Such Ferocious Beauty, is available wherever you buy fine music. You know, since three of us, three of the four members of the bands are siblings and we all, we had a shared experience with this, um, we just thought, you know, it, it's it's pretty intense, but it's a it's a beautiful tribute to them, right? And so my brother Pete, who's the drummer that put this put the video together, and uh, really intense video for us, but I, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful statement, and and um, I think a lot of people, especially those dealing with parents or or partners or loved ones who are going through dementia, you know, would relate to it. You know, they they would they would definitely see, 
you know, they, they, they would, they, they would relate to it. <laughs> yeah, They'll see something they can recognize for sure. Absolutely. absolutely. Are the records and the videos, I guess the videos, this is a, I won't include them in this, but I guess are the records kind of like snapshots of your life? Not all of us have uh, yeah. this collection, this catalog of material that is as introspective and as personal uh, that that ranges for our entire lives. So when you listen to an album from 15 years ago, does it automatically conjure up where you were 15 years ago? Absolutely. I mean, I, I could, you know, there are certain songs that I could listen to or definitely albums where I could go right back to knowing, you know, where I was and where my wife, you know, I've been married for 30 something, three years now. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so where we were in a relationship or whether she was even at, with me at that point. And then, our, you know, as our children come along, you know, we have a, you know, we have a family of a biological kid, a couple of adopted kids. So, all, you know, all this, we, this, the, all the drama and the, around all that and and um you know as i say loss of parents loss of friends yeah I mean, i've told my kids if you ever if you ever want to know if you ever care to know about your dad's <laughs> inner, inner life just start a record what and go through it it's all it's all there might take a little bit of a, a little bit of digging and interpretation but it's all there so yeah for sure it's 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 kind of a weird thing to have but i, I i've sort of I think that the lucky thing I've had is that I've had Margot to sing these songs, right? So mm -hmm. in some ways, they're one step removed from me. Like, I think if I was a singer, it'd be even weirder. But um, there's this sort of remove. So I, I I can kind of let them go in a way. And I don't I don't necessarily feel that I've put myself out there. It's more, it's more Margot putting herself right. out there. <laughs> <laughs> so the band has been together for almost 40 years. It just seems that you've always been there. How is that possible? You know, it, it's we uh, if we I, we get asked that question a lot. I, I I do think it just comes down to we really appreciate what we have. We always have. We, we've always appreciated. We've never we've never taken it for granted. We all we still really enjoy playing our music, creating our music together. Like you know, mm -hmm. it, it, when we get together, the Cowboy Junkies is, is the sound of the four of us playing together. Right? It's sure. it's it's that simple. It's kind of this weird blend of these four personalities that come out through our instruments, and that's and and it really. It really touches us when we do it. Like it really, it's this amazing feeling. So none of us want to lose that. So whenever there's an issue, and we know if one of us, if you replace one of us, we can certainly certainly go on as cowboy junkies, except for Margo. We can certainly go on as cowboy junkies, but um, it wouldn't be the same. It just yeah. wouldn't sound the same. So we, you know, we we don't take that for granted. So whenever there's an issue, or you know, somebody's having problems, whatever, or the touring schedule is too much or too little, or you know, we we change it up. We 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 do we 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 face those issues and we deal, talk about them and we, we deal with it. Right. So it's just that it's just a lot of, a lot of over the years changing how we put out records, how we make records, how we tour, who we deal with, you know, who's in our inner circle and just making sure that everybody's comfortable with it. And it's, and it all leads towards making music. Right. And that's, that's the most important thing. I had always thought that the name cowboy junkies came from the town's Van Zant song. Uh, Cowboy Junkies Lament, but apparently that's not true. I've been wrong about this for almost 40 years. Yeah, he Towns actually wrote that song for us. He's, yeah. He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no. I mean, the name, the name, um, which was, again, going back to the Towns, that's, the, talk about your phenomenal honors, that was something else. Like, Towns Van Zandt, for yeah. us, was one of the great songwriters ever, and to have him actually, you know, write a song for us was pretty amazing. Um, 
the, the, the name really just comes from, uh, you know, we literally had a, our first gig coming up at the Rivoli in downtown Toronto and we needed a name that, you know, David was getting on our ass. Like we need a name <laughs> to put in the paper. Come on, we need a name. Like we, what are you, what, what do I put in that little, you know, little ad in now magazine. And so we sat around one day and just talked and, and threw, threw words back and forth and somehow came up with Cowboy Junkies. I, I don't know who sort of fell on it or like why, or, you know, there was a little bit of a cowboy scene happening at that mm-hmm. point. Blue Rodeo had just started up and Hanson Ned was around and we were, we were good friends with those people. And so, you know, this was sort of our little kind of nod and uh, uh, joke, I guess. Yeah. And it just stuck. And that was it, you know, we just, we just continued on. Yeah. And for almost four decades. Yes. Which probably would have seemed uh, impossible at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies on the Richard Krause Show. Their new record, Such Ferocious Beauty, is available wherever you buy fine music. In this segment, we're going to meet director, actor, and writer Sharon Lewis. She talks about her documentary, With Wonder, which is an intimate look at the journey of members of the queer and Christian community of color and their attempts to answer the question, can you be both Christian and queer? We'll talk about her personal experiences and how she extended the documentary into a multi-part series on YouTube called With Wonder, Untold Stories. (laughs) And of course, we'll also have to talk about her time playing Drake's mother on Degrassi. Sharon Lewis joined me via Zoom from Palm Springs. Let's set the stage a little bit before we talk about it uh, completely here. So I've been reading about you. You say, I came out as bisexual in my mid-20s and then jumped back in the closet in my 40s. I didn't even know I jumped back until you were finishing up another documentary. And I was confused by what that meant when you say you didn't realize that you had jumped back into the closet. What does that mean to you? Because I think what happened in my 20s, I came out with a roar, you know, and I sort of came out to everybody I met. I, you know, I came out, I came out, I came out. I worked with a group of women and we wrote a book about bisexuality called Plural Desires. And that's before, you know, pansexuality or non-binary, any of those terms were being thrown around. So bisexuals were sort of seen as on the fence. Mm. And so I felt that, you know, it was really important to come out. Then I married um, a a male partner and I presented as straight to the world. And so I didn't kind of actively come out, you know, every time I met somebody like, I know I'm married to a guy and I present as straight, but I'm queer, you know. And so I think when I did the documentary, uh, Disruptor Conductor, the one for CBC about the first Black gay conductor, I started to realize that as, as people were sort of coming out as pansexual or non-binary, that there was a little exhale. I went, oh, there, there seems to be more room, even though I present as straight, for me to identify as queer. And so I started coming out again in a way that I hadn't before. And then you started to work on uh, this other documentary that we're going to talk about uh, today with wonder. But it's interesting how you how you sort of came to that 
idea as well. And you say, I had not really met anyone with Caribbean roots, especially, who was able to proudly claim both their identities of being queer and Christian, which is something that you struggled with in your life. So tell me a little bit about your relationship to faith, and then let's talk about the ability or non-ability, I guess, to reconcile those two things. Yeah, I think, you know, in the 90s, when I was out and I was sort of part of this whole artsy Queen Street crowd in Toronto with film, you know, religion did not play a role in that. That was Mm -hmm. not cool, right? Secular was cool. You know, atheist was cool. And queer wasn't necessarily cool, but it was more accepted in that artistic environment. And so I think in the same way, in my 40s, I kind of put my queer identity away. I put my Christian identity away. Mm -hmm. And I was fully an artist. And so when I was doing that documentary, uh, Disruptor Conductor, and I was sort of introduced because the main character was connected to uh, the church in a big way, I started to think about Christianity. And I started to think about all facets of my um, life and how that had been hidden for so long. And so uh, from there, I sort of met other people. And then I met Maurice Bishop, who is an activist in Jamaica, who is Jamaican, Christian, a lawyer, you know, fierce. And he seemed to be struggling with Christianity in an out kind of way, in a way that He was like, I am Christian and I am gay. And how do I reconcile those two things? And I think this documentary, that hit me personally. And I wanted to explore that through this documentary. And with this documentary you have uh, explored that, tell me a little bit about what you learned, uh, perhaps not only about the people that you were speaking to, but about yourself as well uh, through this, uh, this journey, I guess, of making the doc. I think when, you know, growing up in Canada, you as a woman of color uh, and as a child of immigrants, you get used to identifying yourself as other. You're listening to Sharon Lewis on The Richard Krause Show. Find her multi-part documentary with wonder, untold stories on YouTube. And even in interviews, you know, you get talked about your black film or your queer film or your film as a woman. And, and rarely do you get to talk about the craft of the film or the storytelling or the fact that I'm a filmmaker, a very, I will say, accomplished filmmaker. So I realized when I was in Jamaica doing this documentary that I wanted to use craft to tell this story and not worry so much about educating an audience. Mm. So I dove into this project as a filmmaker, as somebody who assumed that the story would be of interest to other people. And I know that sounds like, well, of course, that's what you do. But you don't always do that as a filmmaker. Often you're looking to see what audiences will uh, react, how audiences will react, where you're going to sell this film, you know, what distributor, what distributor will be attracted. Mm-hmm. So I took it from the assumption that people would understand what we were talking about. And I found that process allowed me to drop into the filmmaking in a more present way than I have in previous uh, films. And so when I was in Jamaica and I was talking to Jessica, who is a black lesbian who lives in rural Jamaica, and she was struggling so, so much with her identity 
of being queer and in the church on such a visceral level, meaning if she came out, she may not survive in that community. She may not have the connections that we have in Canada to be able to sustain herself. <laughs> because in a rural community, that church is everything. It is where you get your job. It is where you go if somebody's going to help you with housing. So in seeing that, I identified as a Jamaican. And probably for one of the first times in my life, I really identified as a Canadian. Mm. I was like, this is not my life. This is, I don't live with that kind of stakes. So, you know, you think it would bring me closer to my Jamaicanness, going to Jamaica and doing this doc. It actually brought me closer to my Canadianness and my privilege. Was there ever an issue trying to conv convince people like Jessica to speak to you because of the obvious uh, issues that that might uh, stir up in their lives? And it's very public. I mean, you're putting them on film and they're going to be in a documentary. So yeah, I would say we started with 10 participants in Jamaica and we ended up with two. 10 women. We ended up with Maurice, but he had agreed from the beginning. And he also has that privilege, right, of leaving Jamaica and going to Canada. He's both. He's Canadian Jamaican. But in terms of Jamaican lesbian women living in Jamaica, we started with 10 and ended with two because of the danger. I cannot let you go without asking you just one question about playing Drake's mom on Degrassi. Did you sense that he was going to become a superstar back in those days? Oh. I so wish I could say yes. I know. I so I know. wish I could say yes. I knew <laughs> from the time. But let me tell you what happened. Aubrey and I were sitting in the back of a car waiting to go on set. And he was like working on his raps and hip hop and like doing all of this. I was like, you know, chilling, waiting to be called on set. He was working the whole time. And he turned, I said, oh, you know, you're, you're a rapper. And I'm like, yeah, young kid he's a rapper whatever he's like yeah yeah and he's like yeah no my stuff's starting to blow up that's what he said and I said oh yeah cool whatever you know what I mean I'm like yeah 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 anyway no lie two weeks later I was watching the Grammys and I was like is that Aubrey is that Aub Aubrey's name is Drake that's Drake <laughs> yes so I wish I had known but clearly I did not that was director, actor, and writer Sharon Lewis talking about her documentary, With Wonder, which you can now check out as a documentary series on YouTube called With Wonder, Untold Stories. Let's get to know improviser and comedian Chris Siddiqui. In addition to his work as an improviser at Second City and in clubs, the Canadian Comedy Awards nominee has played a role in the Gemini Award-winning showcase series Cocked Guns, has written for and hosted YTV's Saturday morning show Crunch, the showcase series Almost Heroes, and Lost Girl, MTV Scare Tactics, My Babysitter's a Vampire, and many, many more. Chris Siddiqui is now one of the stars of the new Family Channel show I Woke Up a Vampire, and he joined me via Zoom. You were studying film at the University of Toronto, and you ditched that. You walked away from that yeah, uh, man. And, and decided to uh, give uh, stand-up comedy or live comedy a try. What was the, the thought process there? What was going on? 
Wow. Oh, wow. That's some deep digging. I was going to say, you know, this is a, a great honor and pleasure for me, for the great Richard Krauss, because I'm a Toronto boy, born and bred. So I, you know, real to real was my thing. I loved movies. I always loved going to movies. You know, I worked at a movie theater at Young and Eglinton. I knew all the different great movie theaters around Toronto. Yeah. And uh, I knew also, too, that when Richard Krauss said that a movie was worth seeing, I was like, bam, there it is. Okay, got to go see that movie. Well, you're making me blush now. Well, it's it's true. It's the truth, man. So I, yeah, I mean, I did, uh, I did film at Toronto, and then I mean, what made me switch was because I was, uh, I was paying for myself to go to school, and I was like, holy moly, I can't afford school and textbooks. I mean, I was studying film, as you know. That was just mm -hmm. kind of sitting around watching film, talking about film. Yeah, which is great. But uh, you also, back in those days, you still needed to buy textbooks and. Yep pay thousands of dollars to go to school so i was like you know what i could do this or i could just start doing comedy and that's actually when i started doing improv i came into it because i was too scared of stand-up stand-up so intimidating you know mm -hmm. but i love it and adore it uh, but i was like improv I, I grew up watching whose line is it anyway on ytv all the time and i was like i could do i could do this so then i started doing it was it uh, a way to distract yourself uh, after leaving school? What was it? I think it was. I think it was that as a kid, I think I had these senses of like, okay, I know I can make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And then when I honestly, it was watching because you know I, I grew up listening to those old Monty Python albums and adoring Saturday Night Live. Yep. So I was like, I, I'm. I think I'm a comedian. And then when uh, truly when it was watching uh, Whose Line. As a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, that, like there was a, a legit connection in my head where I said I could do that. Mm -hmm. I could definitely step up, have a moment, you know, a three to five minute window of time where you're playing a game where every time someone says elephant or whatever, you tap, you know, whatever. Right. So I was like, I could do that. And I think it was only until again, I was like, yo, I got to pay for myself to go to university. <laughs> let me let me focus this on something that maybe I could do. And, you know, I have a a very Pakistani father. So he was like, all right, if you're going to, you're going to do this weird comedy thing, you better have something to fall back on. And I have like, I have nothing. I have movies to fall back on. <laughs> so and I was like, you know what, let's just do it. And uh, again, it was that, I think it was the group orientation. I think I was mm -hmm. just less intimidated by, you know, stand up. you're on your own. You have to write all this material. But when you're in a group, you have people take care of you. I think that was it. It was like watching Colin Mockery and Ryan Stiles and, Greg Proofs, they all kind of took care of each other. I think that's what subconsciously I was like, oh, I like that. I, I just like the group orientation aspect well, of it. And then you started getting paid for it. And that must have kind of blown your mind. Well, that more so it blowed my father's mind so he could see it and go, oh, you can get paid for this. And I was like, see, you can get yep. paid for this. You're listening to comedian Chris Siddiqui on The Richard Krause Show. See him in I Woke Up a Vampire on the Family Channel. But yeah, it was that. It was started. Working, you know, I started doing that and then sort of ingratiated myself in the second city and doing classes there and teaching there as well. And yeah, when you start getting paid for it, you're like, this is, it's a real thing. I know lots of people who have uh, taken the Second City courses to help them uh, in day-to-day -day life if they have to make a, a presentation at, at work or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. Um, tell me a few of what you see as the benefits for just people who might just want to sign up, not with an idea be toward becoming you or call a mockery or whoever it might be. I, yeah, that's it's such a, I, I think it's a very unique medium. Because 
mainly the benefit is just uh, allowing yourself to to just speak unabashedly and not right. like not some freedom of speech kind of thing but you know what i mean it's like we all hold these our, ourselves back and i think there's something to someone giving you a platform just to express but also the fear of uh failing is mm. completely it, it starts to erode after you do it over and over again right because you're constantly failing so i think there's you become okay with just having a bad idea or making a mistake uh, and then you start to become okay doing that in a group setting because then mm -hmm. you have somebody else like i was saying before you know there's someone to pick up the slack or someone to say hey that's not a mistake that's something <laughs> we can use or whatever yeah. so i i think especially for that just being able to kind of i had i I don't think I, I said it a lot when I was a kid, but I think I had a lot of anxiety. Like I was a really introvert. I didn't know how to express myself. It was only until doing improv that I was like, oh, I can be okay with chilling out and right. you know, expressing thoughts and ideas and, and making mistakes and taking that upon myself and being humble and being okay. I think that's the biggest thing. The new show that you're on right now is called I Woke Up a Vampire. I yes. don't know what it is with you and shows with the word vampire in them, but my baby's uh, a vampire. My babysitter's a vampire was that's right, a, yeah. another show. So you're, you're, you're clearly predisposed <laughs> yeah. to that kind of thing. Uh, but what do I need to know about I Woke Up a Vampire? You're the only adult in the cast. I'm the only, well, see that, so the, okay. So this is how I'll pitch it to you. This is my elevator pitch, okay? Okay. So it's like a preteen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay? Mm. So it's this 13-year-old young girl. She wakes up one morning and she realizes she can fly and she can hear her dog talk. But it's, it's not that like angsty teenage vampire where right. you're like, oh, man, I have to hide this from the world and, you know, wear my hair in front of one of my eyes. <laughs> She's like, oh, my God, I'm a vampire. Yeah, party. So she starts flying everywhere and kicking garbage cans and. So she has a nerdy friend who's like, yo, you got to like chill out on this. And he's a comic book nerd, right? So this nerdy friend works at my comic book store. Right. And I'm called the collector. But what you don't know is she gets into this deeper world, right? She realizes she's a half vampire, but there are other half monsters out there. They call them blended. And that was something I think, you know, when you're trying to come up with a new IP in a huge world, you have to come up with a catchy terms like that blended. <laughs> that's a good one. They came up with that. Shout out to Tom Lynch and his son, Ryan Lynch, who created the show. But so I'm the collector, right? So I come off as a bit of a right now. I'm, I'm kind of seen as the villain. I'm collecting these blendeds because I have to hand them over to another huge villain and it's a deep, dark world of mystery and intrigue. Uh, I mean, the other thing, too, Richard, this is a show where these kids, I would come in, and these kids were, like, doing wire work, running up walls and <laughs> kicking each other, and then doing full musicals, and and then just going to class and walking through the school hallways. I was like, what is the show? This is amazing. That was improviser Chris Siddiqui on The Richard Krause Show. See him in I Woke Up a Vampire on the Family Channel. A big thanks to Chris for coming by. Also, a big thanks to Sharon Lewis. Check out her multi-part YouTube series called With Wonder, Untold Stories. Also, big thanks to Michael Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies for coming by. Their new record, Such Ferocious Beauty, is available now wherever you buy fine music and at cowboyjunkies.com. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, stay weird. 
and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>